Hello everyone, and welcome to Seaview Quantum Network. I'm your presenter Daniel, and I'm here with your host Claudia Pareco. What is From Fashion to Enlightenment? It's a personal perspective of a blessed life, an empowering journey of how host Anastasia Hayes Piper worked her way from the cover of Women's Home Companion 1947 through the fashion and cosmetic companies of Yves Saint Laurent, Estee Lauder, Lancome, Gianni Versace, and Gucci. Then, on to 15-plus years of service in the nonprofit sector serving with the Muscular Dystrophy Association, Save Venice, and the Prasad Project. This work took Anastasia around the world, where her passion for the diversity of people's lives was able to flourish. Today, Anastasia is an inspirational intellectual medium. She connects to the spirit world through her lineages and is used as a vehicle for messages to empower and uplift. Anastasia's mastery lies in working with people to elevate and expand their light. During each episode, Anastasia shares her experiences, wisdom, laughter, and personal photos. It's a fun and introspective journey for all who listen, live or on demand. Call for free at 805-830-8344 and wait in line or use Take My Call. And for $11, you can jump the long list of callers. Do so at www.paypal.me slash p-u-r-e-c-o slash 11. And then please PM or email Claudia Pareco with the phone number you'll call the show at cview one 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 at gmail.com tune in mondays and fridays at 12 p.m eastern time to see view and listen to all our shows for more information visit cview1111.net and look under monthly shows get in touch with anastasia at her website www.heavenlymusings.org let go Embrace change and be happy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to see you. Today, we are talking about From Fashion to Alignment, this is the part three, with your host, Anastasia Hayes Piper. Have you ever gone through something that has changed your life dramatically? a sign, a transition, something happens to your life, and you are forced to evolve spiritually beyond what you are. Your higher self determines this before you come to earth. It's not something that is happening to you without your permission, even though it may feel that way. Spiritual transitions or transitions, in fact, move you to a new place Spiritually, your whole world may be changing as you are being shifted to a new reality. Having this sometimes is not very fun. At the moment, things may seem uncertain and you don't know where life is taking you. When this happens in your life, you feel though your life is falling apart and nothing nothing seems to be going your way. But then Everything does, and you understand. So let's bring Anastasia so she can bring us to the uh, part three of these episodes that we call From Fashion to Enlightenment. Hey, Anastasia, welcome. How are you? Very well. How are you today, Claudia? Uh, We're doing very well as well. (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful to hear your voice. It's always so welcoming. So that's what Mm -hmm. I want to do now is I want to welcome everyone to um, this next part of the journey uh, that I call From Fashion to Enlightenment. And today, as Claudia mentioned, today is about transitions. Uh, We all go through them. Some are very small. We hardly notice them. Others are huge and change our life dramatically. But there, I have found that they're the way that God opens a door for us to change. 
My first transition start was when I was, it was 1953, and I was seven years old. And my dear father died of a heart attack at home. And I found him because I would, I went to wake him up. He used to take me to church before school sometimes, and we were planning to go to mass that morning. And I, put, I tried to wake him up, and he wouldn't wake up. That transition of his leaving the planet was, from a child's perspective, uh, and really difficult. All three of us, my brother and my sister and myself, uh, were really not, no one explained death to us. They, my mother, I remember her saying something like, well, your father's leaving on a long journey and he's not coming back. Or, but it, it was, we, we didn't have the capabilities of knowing. We just knew it was a loss. But that door, there was a door with that transition that really changed my whole life because my spirituality, my uh, love of God, uh, it intensified through that uh, through that passing. So now we're going to jump from that first transition, major transition in my life, to um, the years just before, say, 1980, in the early to late 80s. I was living in Mexico City. I was married um, I, to a diplomat, and I then got divorced and came back to New York. And when I came back to New York City, it was, I think, 86, uh, I started back in the fashion industry. And I worked for Gucci, and I ran their program for PR and special events for the United States, 39 stores. I had never done anything like that, but it was really an amazing job because even though there was a lot of um, politics in the office, I was never in the office. I was in the office for a couple of weeks, and I was out on the road. And I got a chance to plan events with the stores in all these cities across the country, across the U.S., uh, for, to raise money for charity. So I got to know very well all of the uh, different charitable um, uh, organizations in each of the cities that I uh, worked with. For instance, in San Francisco, we worked with the Symphony. And we would have a, uh, a shopping night at the store, and it would benefit the symphony, and those from the symphony would come, and we always had entertainment, so someone would be singing or playing an instrument. It was just so much fun, and each city was very different. Uh, sometimes it was for the arts. Sometimes it was for, um, uh, it was, had to do with music. It just was, depended on the city and the organization and the relationship with Gucci. So that was really fun. Uh, that ended abruptly. Uh, I had taken a vacation, 1990. My mother and I, she was, uh, my mother had gotten breast cancer, uh, actually lung cancer and breast cancer, and she, but she was a survivor. So we had made a deal in a couple of years before that. And we said, Mom, I said, now that you're, you're survived, we're going to go take a trip, and you're going to take me to Japan. My mother was a Japanese dealer in antique Japanese screens and had her own business. That was her second career after being a famous model. She was an amazing woman, and she loved these screens. They were like her children, and she really preferred them almost to us children because they didn't talk to her. All she had to do was appreciate their beauty. And uh, so my mother and I took off for, for Japan. She, we made a deal. I paid the, with my points because I had done so much traveling. I had tons of points, and I got two first-class tickets on Japanese airlines, uh, for us to go and she planned the trip and where we were going to stay and she paid for the, the stays in each of the hotels. And so the two of us took off and that was in the spring. It was beautiful cherry blossom time in Japan. It was an amazing trip. And 
I always had had an appreciation for Asian art through through my exposure through my mother. And it, but for me, the trip there for my mother it was about the art. For me, it was about the temple. I couldn't not go into any of the temples, whether they were Buddhist or Shinto. It didn't matter. I continuously gravitated towards the spiritual, towards where is God here? <laughs> and uh, my mother was like, she said, you want to sit in this garden quietly? Because <laughs> she wasn't the most, she was very active. She had lots of energy and she was very active. And I just say, hey, mom, I need 20 minutes to sit quietly in this garden and appreciate, and I would say it just to, to, to appreciate nature. Japanese gardens are beautiful, especially temple gardens. They're so serene and they have so much beauty and I, it would just make me happy. So we agreed and um, everywhere we went, she got her time in the shops and I got my time in the temples. Uh, we came back from that trip uh, April, I think, of 90, and uh, I got a, I went back to work, and I got let go in a corporate takeover. Whoa, okie dokie. I had no idea what that was like, because if I had ever been let go of a, of a job, I was because my performance wasn't up to par. It never happened to me, actually, but in this case, my, I was doing really well, and everybody was pleased, and the stores were making more money, and the charities were happy, and there was no reason. I couldn't – it was just – it wasn't logical to me. And I got uh, – I got uh, – I got – I just said, fine, okay, so what now? And they said, well, we'll pay you six months' salary and help you in any way we can to find other work. And I just looked at them and I went, I don't think so. I'm going to shift careers now. This is a perfect opening, hence a transition. And this was something that was orchestrated by the creator, wasn't orchestrated by me. So I looked at it and I went, and I got a lot of offers right away. I got offers that uh, for other companies that wanted me, other fashion companies. And, whatever. and I thought, no, I, I just, that isn't it. So I sat for, for about a month and I kind of tried to figure out. And what I did was I decided that I liked working with charitable organizations. And um, as I was doing that, uh, I had talked to different people, and I thought, well, I could just open my own business. And But as I was doing that, uh, just starting that, um, I called it Piper Limited. Uh, a friend of mine at the UN had office space there that I could share to other women who were doing similar work. So I set up my little office in uh, in that space at the UN Plaza in New York City. Just as that happened, I came home uh, from picking up my mother, my mother who was in Europe at the time. I came home one night, and um, there was, uh, I lived in a building that had a doorman. And uh, I go into the building, and the doorman says to me, the police are looking for you. Well, you know, it's kind of like not exactly what you want to hear after good evening. But I, uh, I said, okay. They said, well, yeah, did they, and I said, did they leave a message or anything? He said, no, 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 they're going to call you and leave a message. So I uh, got into the apartment, and I called the number that was left as a message. And I spoke with a detective, and uh, he said uh, that he had, uh, he had been uh, with my brother. Um, they had found my brother. Uh, who died of a heart attack, they think, uh, in his home. Uh, a friend of my brother's found his body. And I'm listening in disbelief on the phone to this lovely man who was very gentle. And the way he spoke about my brother was very kind. Uh, that's what I could feel. And at that moment, I'm all of a sudden, I feel this presence in my kitchen as I'm standing there talking on the telephone. And I look around, and over standing next to me is a dark-skinned, beautiful, beautiful outline of a man. 
holding my brother in his arms, like cradling my brother. And I knew exactly what it was as far as the image was concerned. I didn't know who the person was, but I knew that my brother was okay because God was showing me that he was all right, that he was, he, 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 he was okay. He was being taken care of. And uh, then I had the, the challenge to call my mother. I had to tell my mother that her son died. Now, in my family, I have always been the one that gets the phone call. Uh, someone's in trouble, they call me. They don't call my mother. They didn't call my stepfather. They call me. So I called my mother, and I said, Mom, I have something to tell you, but I'm not going to tell you over the phone. I have to come back down to your apartment, and I want to tell you in person. Um, I said, but everything's okay. Don't worry. And because I knew everything was okay, even though it was a horrible thing that had happened, it, it, he was okay. And so I went and I spent the next three or four days with my mom, and I helped her um, I told her, I said, I didn't tell her about the man. I just said I knew, I felt my brother's presence and that he was okay and not to, that we weren't to worry. And um, she was in shock and she had not completely resolved issues with him. So she was even more uh, upset because, which it goes, each of us, to those we love, keep it up to date. That's all I can say because we never know when they're not going to be there. So every moment that we spend with those that we love, we should make it the most beautiful moment ever. And I saw that very clearly with my mother. I had uh, spent time with my brother before that, but I'll tell you about that in a moment. But right now, my mother, I stayed with her and I helped her with the funeral arrangements. And and I uh, I was really blessed because there were my brother, <clears throat> who had been sober for a couple of years, had um, a group of friends out in Long Island where he lived. And those friends were part of a spiritual path. And they, they all met at AA. And they were lovely people. I had met them a couple of weeks before I had spent the weekend at my brother's house, which was a true blessing. Um, I, to this day, remember him putting me on the jitney, sending me back on the bus to Manhattan from his house. We had a great time, just the two of us. And uh, he was really my best friend. And uh, so I, I said to my mother, these people that I met when I was staying with Jean, they're really nice. And I'm going to ask them to help us because they all live out in the Hamptons and we can do the church out there. And, and I really organized, this was the event that I organized. I organized this event for my brother. All this training that I had in doing special events around the, around the globe, I could use for my brother and to ease the activity for my mother, who was in total shock. My brother was only 41 years old, and he had two small children. And uh, at that time, they were living in North Carolina. So um, anyway, we got through that piece. And we had an amazing funeral, a celebration of his life that was so joyful. It was, we all, his children came up to, to us and they said, ha, we didn't know that our dad had so many friends. And we had a band that played my brother's favorite music of the 60s. And we had, it was just a beautiful celebration of his life. And uh, he was buried uh, in the same plot with my father and my grandmother. So that also was a really nice to be able to do that. And um, it was wonderful to see all of his friends able to celebrate him and the joy that he had brought into their lives. So that was 1990. That was the door that opened through my brother's death that allowed in my spiritual path to be now 30 years. Uh, the man who showed up in my kitchen turned out to be Baba Muktananda, the Siddha guru who had transitioned 
himself in 1982, and whom my brother had uh, taken an intensive with his friends who I found out were in Siddha Yoga Meditation. I knew nothing about it uh, except that my brother was happy in the last days of his life and that he had found a nice group of people. And um, I wasn't really interested in in a guru or anything until (laughs) he showed up in my kitchen. (laughs) And as I discovered uh, talking at the funeral, talking to all of his friends, no no one said anything but helped me. They all helped us as a family. And they, one person just suggested, well, you might want to listen to this. This person is coming to speak in New York, and you might want to, to listen. It'll teach you a little bit about the yoga meditation. And I thought, well, I might as well, since, since this man showed up in my kitchen. And I went to the program in a few months. It was about a month after my brother's funeral. So I went to the program, and in the program they had a movie a video that was done, beautiful video about Baba Muktananda and, and um, the lineage of Siddha, uh, which are great uh, masters. And uh, it explained a bit of the path. And I just felt at home. I felt at home there. I brought a friend who, who was actually suffering from AIDS at, the, at that time, who was like another brother to me. I brought uh, Paul uh, to the program because if I didn't like it, well, he, it would be good for him, I figured. And uh, he he didn't like it at all. <laughs> he was so he was so not happy about the program. But I had a great time, so I put him in a taxi after the program, and I went back into the church. It was held in a church, and I went back in, and I found out about an intensive, which is the program that my brother took before he died. And as it turns out, that intensive is the awakening of Kundalini energy, and all of this was kind of new to me except I already knew it it was something in my in my DNA that I brought from past the past was this path of um, of enlightenment uh, this path of love and compassion and my brother's death through his death he he went he went he had, took an intensive he got shaktipat diksha which is that's what it's called when the kundalini is, is awakened and he he left that was his job and part of his the greatest gift to me was putting me on the path i didn't hesitate my friends thought i was totally crazy they thought she's lost it her brother's died she's lost it and it wasn't true at all it was I had moments of hesitation. Don't get me wrong. There were moments that I thought, oh, this is, this is a cult. Da, da, da. But it wasn't that at all. My experience from the very beginning was only of people who were loving and kind and uh, smart and, uh, you know, being a New Yorker. It was like I needed, I needed it to, to appear in this form, I guess. It was, uh, my, it was the 1990 was the year that everything changed. It was amazing. So as I'm going, learning to participate on this spiritual path, and uh, I also was working uh, with nonprofits and doing special events through Piper Limited in New York City. And uh, the more I worked with the different uh, organizations, the more I realized that I loved and wanted to do something different. And I started doing workshops. What, what Siddha Yoga opened for me was that I was a powerful teacher and that I had a lot of experience and I had stories to tell. So PowerWorks, I closed up sort of Piper Limited, and I opened PowerWorks. And what I did with PowerWorks was I did workshops on, I did Know Your Own Greatness. I did things that were uplifting and helped. uh, I would speak at schools, for instance, and uh, young women uh, to empower them. They were just stories of empowerment. And I loved it. Oh, I had so much fun. And I also shared uh, 
some workshops with a friend who is an astrologer, Diane Eichenbaum, who lives in Texas and Dallas. And we had, we just had a wonderful time and it was, it was great. And it, it, it expanded. I had started having all of these friends and did a yoga meditation and my world just became so much bigger. There was uh, an expansion of energy that came in through this pathway plus a deep love and affection for the path, not only for Baba Muktananda, but for the present teacher, um, our master teacher, Guru Mai. Uh, I just, I felt like I was home. I started to do service on a regular basis with them. And to, to this day, it is, uh, it is a, a lifelong, it was an opening that was a lifelong blessing. And, as I was doing these workshops, uh, I got contacted by uh, Avon, the cosmetic company, to do something. And I said, I'm not really interested in that, but I'll hold a workshop for you or something. And they said, you know, we're, we're doing something in Tucson uh, with an, a company called Miraval Life in Balance. And how about you get a group of people out and we'll pay your way. Uh, and you do a workshop out there and whatever. And I went, oh, sure, that would be fun. Well, actually, Diane Eichenbaum was one of the people who, who did the journey with me and a couple of my best friends. And we went to Tucson, and we did this, this uh, workshop weekend. And it was in 1997, 97, 98. And when I was in Tucson, I was – in a meditation, just by myself looking at the mountains. I had never really been in the desert and, and didn't know. Uh, I'd been to Phoenix, but it was, Tucson is so much different than Phoenix. And uh, it's just beautiful, beautiful four mountain ranges around the city. And I was captivated by its beauty. And during this meditation, I got a message. You're moving here. <laughs> I went, oh, Okay. Now, I had a small apartment in New York. Uh, I had gone through some transition of selling a place and whatever, so I was renting a small apartment because I didn't really know what was going to happen next. It was really transitions, uh, small ones continued to happen. And I didn't have a full-time job, and I thought, well, I can go. And sure enough, the moment I decided, I went back to New York, and I – Got out. I, my lease was over a few months after that, so I planned to leave for Tucson. And during that time, I kept having visitations by uh, Native American healers, shamans, in my in my sleep state, but also in my awake state. And I thought, well, I guess this is the place I'm supposed to go because I'm getting guided. Uh, and I was. They were kind of um, showing me not to be afraid. The same way that. Baba Muktananda appeared with my brother. These guides came to reassure me and take care of me. So I left for Tucson. Uh, I, the, I met someone in Tucson during the workshop who, at Miraval, Life and Balance, who said, if you come back, let me know. We have a guest room. You can stay with us while you are transitioning. <laughs> I thought, okay. And I took her up on it. I called her and I said, is that offer still open? I'm flying out. And I flew out on February 14th on Valentine's Day in 1991. I mean, sorry, 1997. And um, that was the beginning of a whole new life for me. Another very big transition. Living in the Southwest, uh, I stayed in the Southwest until 2000. I worked in Tucson for Muscular Dystrophy, a beautiful organization. Uh, we did the local telethons. I ran their Southwest operation, uh, Tucson and Southern Arizona, and I was director there. And uh, the headquarters of Muscular Dystrophy, which had been in New York for many years, was now in Tucson. So I uh, had other New Yorkers around me. A wonderful group of people. They were fantastic to work with. And I stayed in Tucson until I got a call one morning. 
And this is how my transitions happen. Either I get a phone call or um, it just, these are, these are all these transitions are doors opening, right? So I just go through the door. The door opened this morning. I was getting ready for work and Chusan to go to my office and the phone rings. And it's the ashram, the, the home of uh, Gurumai in the United States. And uh, they have a, uh, there is a charitable organization that is part of the Siddha Foundation, and it's called the Prasad Project. And someone from this organization, this nonprofit, called me. And they said, we hear we're supposed to meet with you and talk to you um, about, about a job. We don't know what it is, but could you meet us in Los Angeles in a week or so? And I said, okay. I knew the people already from having done service at the ashram. Um, and I thought, okay, this is, this is a way I can serve. So I went to L.A. I got some time off, took a couple days, stayed with some friends, and met with this uh, director and uh, decided I wanted to take the job. They, were, they offered me a job to work at the headquarters of the Prasad Project in Hurleyville, New York, upstate New York. And uh, I took it. I gave notice. To, I gave a couple weeks notice to MDA uh, in Tucson, and I moved from Tucson back to New York. Um, living at the ashram, I stored what possessions I had at that time, some furniture and things, and I stored them with my mom in New York City, and I moved to upstate New York. And it was an amazing uh, year of my life. Uh, I had wanted to work and offer service at the ashram before that, uh, but it was, never seemed to, to work out. It was, uh, there was no job available or whatever. And I kept, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll go to the headquarters in India, but that never worked out either. I'd start to plan it. And so I just went along with what worked. So this position of development director at the Prasad Project was an, a, a wonderful year. It was an, a most amazing year. It was the year I was there. I arrived in 2000, and I was there in 2001. I was there during the collapse of the towers. It was a privilege and an honor to be in that environment, to be able to pray and, and offer service at a time when my hometown, because don't forget, I was born in New York City. My hometown was bombed. My mother and sister were in the city. I had had enormous, I still have, friends in the city. And I didn't feel that I was to rush to the city at all. Everybody was fine. We, we finally we got noticed that everybody was fine, that we knew. Um, and they were uptown, so it was okay. They weren't downtown. And uh, I stayed and we prayed and we chanted and we offered, we offered, we just offered everything to the healing that was going on in the city. Those of city yoga friends of mine who were in the city, they offered service immediately. Some worked with uh, the first responders and helped them. Others were doing, um, they, everybody volunteered. Everybody was doing service. Every city yoga person that I know in, who was from Manhattan stepped up. It was an amazing thing to watch. And I watched it from afar. I didn't go back into the city for a couple of weeks to visit my mom um, because there was so much going on in Manhattan. It was not a place to visit at that time at all. So, uh, but they were fine. So as long as everybody was okay, we stayed and we prayed and we, we offered um, love and blessings to everyone. And it was powerful. It was, I saw the power of prayer in action. The power that we have, we, it's just, we are amazing beings. So 
I'm going to take a breath here, and I'm going to have a sip of water. Oh, wow. So one of the things that I find is the, has been the most helpful for me, especially coming through the Siddha Yoga meditation path, was I've learned how, what it is to hold your state. Because I've had examples of people before me that are grounded, that are in the state of well-being and who are happy and who are doing their work. And that's what I saw when I started on the path. I saw Gurumai herself in that state. And that state was what I wanted. I didn't want anything else. I wanted that state, that state of being, to live my life in that state. Well, slowly but surely over the past 30 years, that has still, that is still my, my, um, my raison d'etre, my reason of being. Uh, and I, I have come closer each moment of each day to that state. In some moments, I actually embody it completely. In others, because I'm human, just like you, I, we are all here, these amazing beings of light with this, we've taken on this, this body and we've, we're playing this game together. And it's so extraordinary if for one moment during the course of the day, we can just tune in to our own greatness, to our own state of being, of our own light. It changes everything. It changes everything for the whole world. Because when we change, when we, when we go through our transitions, when we make our choices, it changes everything. It, it changes. It works with nature. We work with everything on the planet and elsewhere. So it, that, that event and being at the ashram at that time was one of the most extraordinary events of my life. So once that was over and my year of service was over uh, in, uh, up at the ashram in South Salzburg, I uh, decided to go out. I didn't even decide. A friend from at the ashram said, what are you going to do after you leave here? And I said, I don't really know. Well, he and his wife had a cottage, and the cottage was out on Long Island in, um, actually in Sag Harbor on eastern Long Island. And it, 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 they said, you can rent it from us. We're not going to be there. And I spent a year out there in that cottage, um, and also it was near where my brother had lived. So I got to be with the people who he knew. And I got to be friends with them and be part of that community out there, which was extraordinarily healing for me. And I uh, stayed and worked in nonprofit out there, uh, some of it on my own and some of it with um, the Ross School, uh, other things. Whatever turned up, I, I did. And uh, I stayed out there, I guess, and, and back and forth to New York to see my mom. Uh, she came out to see me. I was close enough. It was nice to be nearby. And I uh, felt my time in Tucson had, was over so complete. Each time I moved, uh, it has really been a completion. So uh, except for New York. New York, I, I seem to go back and forth to. So here we are, and I'm in Long Island, and I'm working. And it's now 2006. And uh, my mother wasn't too well. So what I did is after the year that I spent in the cottage um, renting in Sag Harbor, I went back to New York and I took over the guest room in my mom's apartment because I felt like I should really be there, that somebody, my sister was living in California and uh, I felt that I should be there. It was important. Uh, she didn't think she was sick. But those of us who knew um, her doctor included, uh, it was a good idea for someone to be around. And that, so from about 
two years I spent there. And in 2006, I got sick, which is something that happens to caretakers all the time. We have to take care of ourselves. We can't really serve or help others if we don't take care of ourselves, our own well-being. And um, I had, I did, but I also was giving a lot. And the, I decided to have a surgery, a elective surgery done on my feet because um, I was in pain. And so I had this surgery done. <clears throat> and lo and behold, in July of 2006, I get in, I have the surgery and I get an infection from the hospital. And it was a staph infection in one foot my right foot, and that infection went to the bone. My foot turned black. Uh, I had to go into the hospital again, a series of uh, treatments, and uh, nuclear medicine was pumped into my body. I had never, I hardly took an aspirin. So it was a real shock to my system. And it was also a transition. This was another Change. Everything changed again in 2006. This change uh, brought me to California. I was on the phone with a friend. I had to be in bed with my leg up or at least sitting or on crutches for about 10 weeks. And I had to have uh, intravenous uh, antibiotics because it was a pick line, because of the drugs they had pumped into me for the nuclear medicine, it, which saved my life, in, a, in fact, because they saw that the infection was in the bone, and then they saw it again when they used the nuclear medicine to see that the infection had been cured in the bone. I would have lost my foot otherwise, and I didn't. But I realized in the lot of time that I had on my hands during that period, I was ready for a change. And feet are all about, when you have things with your feet, it's always about moving forward, I have discovered. <laughs> so pay attention to your feet and see if there isn't something in your life that you are maybe holding back from. Because I discovered that the surgery had everything to do with the next transition in my life. It had everything to do with my moving out of New York and moving to California. A friend I spoke with on the phone, and he said, you know, you could transition now or you could, you could go and, um, you know, you can come out to California and you can heal. So I took the, I took the road uh, of going to California. Um, I told my mom and my sister. She was now in New York, so she could take care of my mom and watch her. Who she, my mother, then needed much more help. And uh, we, I decided, I came out to California, and I uh, went to L.A., stayed with a friend, and uh, found a place in Santa Monica. I found a little apartment, and then I went back to New York, and I shipped whatever it was that I had uh, out to Santa Monica. And I stayed, I had worked for myself a little bit, but I also worked for an amazing naturopath. Uh, Dr. Dr. Tamara Turbilcock, who has become a dear, dear, blessed friend. She, I met her because I needed help. I needed natural healing. And as it turned out, she was just, her office was just down the road from where I was living. And once I met her, uh, I knew I'd be, I'd be fine, that I, that I was on the road to healing. And she, it turns out she needed help in her office. So I signed up. I gave her my resume and I said, yeah, I'm here. I need work, whatever. And we, uh, she introduced me to the rest of the staff and I had, they, they chose, they, I got the job and I became her patient services um, person for a few, for a year or so, maybe two years. And um, I worked three days a week and the other two days during the week, I would drive up to Ojai. Now, Ojai is about an hour and a half from L.A. It's up near, it's between Santa Barbara and um, 
uh, Ventura, that area. Now, you know, it's up, you go up the coast. It's the most beautiful drive. So for, for a couple of years while I was in Santa Monica, I would work for Dr. Trebilcock, and then I would go up to, for my own healing, I would go up to um, an amazing healing center that uh, was in Ojai that was actually run by friends, and I became a part-time manager there, uh, all through friends from City Yoga Meditation. So wherever I have gone ever since I started on this amazing path, each city has had a, a, either an ashram or a center of Siddha Yoga Meditation, and I've always had a community of like-minded people surrounding me who have been there for me time and time again, and I for them. And so the Siddha Yoga community in Los Angeles is amazing as well. And I, so I did my sevas, my service in Los Angeles. I would drive people up as service also to Ojai, to this healing center. And the healing center was uh, and is, it still exists, it's not in Ojai any longer. It's more uh, digital. We're on, uh, we're on, it's on Zoom. And it, it, he now, the person in charge now lives in uh, New Mexico. And so uh, what was interesting about this whole transition was that this transition was all about the work I was to do and that I do today. It was the beginning of the work of John of God, of my exposure to the great healing power of this amazing man uh, in Brazil, in Abidjania. And uh, I, we did the work of John of God in Ojai in uh, 2000, I was there 2006 to 2009, pretty much, uh, full-time. Uh, and then I moved to Ojai. At the end of that, I, I moved to Ojai and lived up there for a year. But during that time, this healing uh, center was called first Casita, and then it was called Espiritu, which it's still called today, is just Amazing healing work. And I, I discovered the difference between healing and curing and a lot of other things on this path. But that was my own healing. I went through that, uh, that time in L.A. and in Santa Monica and in Ojai for my own healing. And it, it, has, it changed, it, again, with another transition that changed my life. Uh, then I, uh, at that point... Uh, I was going back and forth to New York because my mom was sick. And she finally passed in 2010. And that was a big transition. My sister and I had to handle the estate. And we, we spent, I spent three months in New York working on all of that with her. And then my sister fell ill. And my sister and my mother had always had an agreement. I didn't know what it was, but in life, in this lifetime, they had an agreement. They were always on the same page about things. It was very interesting to watch. And they also obviously had an, an, uh, an agreement in death because my sister died almost to the day, a year after my mom, of very similar cancers. But before my sister died, there was a year, this year in between, my sister uh, developed uh, these tumors, and uh, she went to see John of God. Uh, she also knew that the work I had been doing, uh, she wanted to go herself. I, she didn't want me to go with her. And uh, she went to Brazil, and she came back from Brazil, much worse than when she left. And this is where we go into healing and curing. The healing path is a path of our deep spiritual being, our, our light body. Uh, it is the vehicle that we come into this world through light. We leave this world through light. 
And my sister understood this. And so she went to John of God. Yes, she wanted to be cured. Her son was ready to get engaged and get married. And she had lots to look forward to. But she realized after she came back from her journey there, she spent three weeks in Brazil. She came back. She was much worse. She realized that it was about her healing, not about her curing, that she had really had incurable cancer and that it would kill her, and that she surrendered uh, to the process. It was so beautiful to watch. I, would, I, would, I was in New York with her for a while during her surgeries and stuff, and, uh, but her, I couldn't stay very too long after she, during her recovery because there was, um, it just wasn't comfortable with her family and her son and uh, his in-laws and there just wasn't, it was, I didn't want to fight and whatever. So my sister understood in those last days when she was in the hospital before she, she did come, come home and she was at home and she was taken care of before she passed, she passed at home. But in the hospital, we used to do meditations and we used to chant and we'd do all kinds of things. And the doctors and nurses would come and visit and they'd go, meditation time yet? But some of them would stay during the quiet time. It was really sweet. And they were so kind. And uh, we had, uh, we just spread light from that room out into the world. And with the help of all the saints of John, that work with John of God and uh, especially St. Ignatius of Loyola. And so uh, my sister passed. Uh, I was in California when she actually passed, but I had spoken to her that day. I spoke to her every day and she was in such a good place. She said to me, she said, it is what it is and I'm ready to go. And that was that. And I saw the courage and the beauty of her transition. And for me, that was another huge opening. And then I took a year off. Okay, I had been to two funerals, my mother, my sister, you know, one after the other. I was tired. So I went to Pennsylvania. I was directed to a town called Milford, and I went out to Milford. And in Milford, Pennsylvania, I uh, spent a year, met some wonderful people, and then I came back to New York for another year or two, um, but the city wasn't the same anymore, and I didn't feel, I did some work there, I was happy there, but there was a calling to come back to California. So in 2000, probably 13 or 14, I came out to California again, and I lived in Los Angeles area and West LA and started doing the work. I called it spirit of change. And I did, uh, I started doing this wonderful healing work uh, through the lineages of the John of God saints and discovered more and more who I am as a medium, a mediumship opened um, I was able to uh, take some some journey, do some traveling, and uh, I only left uh, this year left California. So um, those are those are those are the real highlights of of those transitions. That uh, this last transition to Asheville has also been a transition. <laughs> <laughs> Of sorts, because it's very different than California. Being back, you know, being back in in the East Coast and being back in uh, uh, in North Carolina, not as a visitor, but as a uh, habitant. So right now, this is where I am, and I am extraordinarily grateful for the journey that and and getting here to this point in time. And now, so, uh, how are Claudia? <laughs> Perfect. And now you are crossing the barriers with your podcast. You are sending your voice once more time uh, to the world. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful um, life, a, a blessed life, really, that you have had. And the, the beauty of what you're doing, you are teaching us all. It's when we have that time of reflection, 
to look back into whichever point in your life you are, we are going to discover that we have all been uh, placed in this, in this perfect spot and things that happen in your life that brings you here or there or that take some people out and bring another in, it's, all, it's a perfect harmony, it's a symphony perfectly planned and everything fits just exactly at the moment that you are. And we can, I, I always tell people, and I think you, you, you would agree, at any moment you have a choice. You can either find it or be at ease with it. And that's your option. You can just do whatever you want, but it's your choice. You, but you're going to be there and you're going to be seeing the people that are coming to your life and you're going to be leaving those people that are living in your life. That's inevitable. Is what is it that you choose to do or how are you going to choose to react about life? Yeah, it is. We have, we have the power. <laughs> we create mm-hmm. our own life. It's uh, one of the... Um, one of the there are yeah there's there it's what do we do with it here it is here we are so what what are we going to do with it and uh, I I really believe in doing what shows up I believe that uh, I am guided and I as long as I follow my instincts and this guidance I'm fine I don't worry about it anymore. Yeah, so you know we're in the East Coast. In next episode, we're going to talk about um, the continuation of your story, and probably we're going to start to plant the seed of what what is it to come. And when when we think of our lives, I think that's the the important is that whenever wherever you are, keep your dreams alive, keep your open have your doors open, just get on the bus whenever it reaches and, and knocks on your door. Yeah, well, that's that's what it is all about, really, is it? we second-guess God all the time. You know, it's like we ask for something and then something shows up and we go, well, that's not what I asked for. <laughs> How do you know that? <laughs> you don't. I mean, that's the only the only way is I call it following the breadcrumbs. It's mm-hmm. just uh, that shows up, so you go do that. That shows up, you go do that. And then as long as you are offering your life in, uh, you know, in service for the highest good of all, that's what comes. Keeping the focus on the positive, on the blessings is imperative because as my uh, a course that I've taken that I absolutely adore and have followed for many years is called Mastering Alchemy. And Mastering Alchemy is uh, an amazing pathway and it has helped me ex- so much over the years. And it, they're practical tools of how to deal with things. And um, I, uh, I always, it's just like whatever shows up, just go do it. It's it's uh, it's a choice, as you said. It's a choice. You can have a great day or you can have a lousy day. It is <laughs> <Yeah>. your choice <laughs> because it is it is what you make it. it it's we are creators. We are um, you know, that's who we are. We're here to create and and assist with this big change. And I'll talk more about that. This the change that's coming and that has been coming since. 2011-12 there this is the time uh, on the planet for us to really use our uh, use our skills and our talents for the highest good that's right well Anastasia also, thank you for oh sorry I, no, I just wanted to mention to anybody who's going, who's listening, that next time too, if you have any questions or topics of, of the, or things that you'd like me to answer, send me an email or um, uh, a text or whatever. If you have my number at, through my website, uh, I'd love to answer some uh, some questions along from what you've heard in the in the past three episodes, and or what's coming. Perfect. So, yeah, send it also on Thank Facebook. You. you can find Anastasia uh, Hayes Piper on Facebook. You can private message there. 
And you can uh, go to her website, heavenlymusings.org, and she has a contact page over there. So there's always a way to contact Anastasia, or you send it to me, and I will send it to her, and we will answer those questions next time. So her next show is in, in December 9th. And I want to thank everybody for listening and for sharing and for this story to touch all and each one of the hearts that is intended for. And thank you, Anastasia. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you, Claudia. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Many blessings. Much love. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>